There's a lot to say when buying a new home or car, but only one thing to say that can help you protect them. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. And just like that, a State Farm agent will be there to help you choose the coverage you need, no matter where you are in life. When you need coverage options, your State Farm agent is there to help, on the phone or in person. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash wondery and use code wondery for 20% off your first purchase. Welcome to the Nerdist Podcast number 706. Uh, let's go to the Nerdist Community Corkboard. There is uh, a young man by the name of Justin. And he writes, my fiance Greta and I are getting married next Saturday. We don't know when he wrote this, so maybe that was a long several Saturdays ago. Uh, so if you're already married, congratulations. But uh, he said he, she tur- turned him on to the podcast last fall. He's listened to almost 300 episodes. Living in New York has become uh, the voice of his commute. And they watch At Midnight and Meltdown, and he watches Talking Dead. Oh my god, Justin, I will marry both of you. Uh, so he just wants a shout-out. So congratulations, Justin and Greta. For getting married, if that's the case, if that's already been done. Uh, also on the Nerdist Community Cork Board, uh, another young man by the name of Robert Britt says that uh, he and a couple of his friends started their own indie game company called Delirium Gameworks, and they're working full-time jobs, and they're doing mobile apps on the side, but maybe one day they can make it their full-time careers. I, uh, I respect your moxie, and I feel like that will be an inevitable part of your future is being able to make this your full-time job. Their first release is called Cops vs. Orcs. It was just released in Android and Apple uh, and iOS stores. The, the game was inspired by his brother-in-law, who's a cop and has a huge aversion to orcs. <laughs> so he won't watch Lord of the Rings. He won't play Warcraft. Any board game that involves orcs, he is orc-phobic. Uh, which is kind of racist, but that's okay. Uh, but it's be- it was so ridiculous they decided to make a game that he couldn't refuse to play. So uh, what's better than shooting orcs in the face with donuts is what he says. Uh, it's on the App Store and on Google Play, and so go check that out. Also, uh, I, myself, Chris Hardwick, I'm going to be going to Just for Laughs in Montreal. This weekend, I'll be performing, um, doing a show with uh, Ellie Kemper Friday night, a taping, and then uh, my full Fun Comfortable Tour show is Saturday, 8 p.m. at the Olympia Theater. That sounds like a big venue, so for the love of Christ, please come so I'm not uh, shouting into the darkness with just uh, five uh, Quebecois people that uh, didn't know what they wandered into. So please, please, please come to that show in Montreal on Saturday, July 25th. Oh, that's my dad's birthday. Aw. See, we'll spend that special time together. Let's all do it, people. Uh, this episode is Sir Ian McKellen, who, I have to say, it turns out, uh, this we recorded him on Friday. Podcast was scheduled to go up Monday. And then uh, it turns out uh, we found out that he was also going uh, appearing on Marin's show on WTF. So Marin's producer emailed us and said, hey, we're both putting this up the same day. What if we did a cross promotion? And I said, that's a fantastic idea. So that's it. If you, uh, you can listen to this show or if you like Mark better, you can just turn this off and go listen to Mark's show first and then come back to us. But, uh, but I think what's great about it is that I think this will prove that you can listen to 
WTF and Nerdist or any two podcasts really back-to-back with the same guests and get two completely different experiences. So uh, we support our podcast brethren over there at uh, WTF, who's the president's best buddy now. Mwah, mwah, mwah. Yeah, I'm a little jealous. But uh, but uh, I'm sure that uh, Serene McKellen was fantastic on, on Mark's show. So uh, I know that they talked about uh, sort of acting as a life discipline and, and, and a lot of Shakespearean talk. So go check that out after you listen to this Nerdist podcast or before if you want to. We talked a lot about uh, uh, Ian doesn't really like doing interviews. He doesn't really like all the stuff that comes with fame. So we actually talked about that. And it was really interesting to get his take on that. And we talked about uh, we talked a lot about gay rights, and uh, we talked about uh, just kind of living in the moment and uh, and and appreciating humans on on an in real life interpersonal interconnectivity through uh, <laughs> through visual in person stimulus uh, type of thing. So uh, it was. I, I feel like in the beginning he was a little suspicious. I was actually six minutes late to the podcast. Six minutes late. Uh, Katie texted me. At, it was supposed to be at noon. Katie texted me at twelve oh one. Serene McKellen's here. I walked in around twelve oh seven, and he kind of harasses me about it at the beginning, and rightfully so. But uh, but it it, end, it ended up being great, and uh, he ended up being a really sweet guy. And he's promoting Mr. Holmes, which is a super cool spin on Sherlock Holmes. It's in theaters now. Um, so Laura Linney's also in it. So please, please, please check that out. But uh, I, I definitely fell in love with Mr. McKellen uh, or Sir Ian McKellen uh, by, by the end. So uh, here we go. This is the Nerdist Podcast. Here is the podcast number 706 uh, with Sir Ian McKellen. Now entering Nerdist.com. the problem? Nothing. <laughs> yeah, but you're late. I'm, I'm, I know. So we said, what's the problem? No, I just, You're all right. I'm good. I'm good. I was putting out a small work fire, but it's all good now. You were. Yes. Yes. I just got back that's, from Bake. That is a problem. It is a problem, but it's all solved now. Everything's good. I just got back from vacation at 1 o'clock in the morning, so everything... Mm. It's weird. The rest of the world doesn't go on vacation when you go on vacation. That's right. So I came back. <laughs> <laughs> so I came back and everyone was like, where have you been? But I was at Comic-Con. Did you go to Comic-Con this year? I've been to Comic-Con twice. That'll do. <laughs> <laughs> We, um, talking to people, no doubt. I was talking to people and moderating panels and doing oh. stand-up, and my company put on a big shindig there. So it was, it was. I was there for five days. <laughs> it was Ooh, like it was like God. one five-day-long day. So, so we're, what is we're at Comic Con time of year? Are we? Or is there more than one a year? Well, there's only one San Diego Comic Con a year, but you know there are conventions. Yeah. Every weekend somewhere. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. but when people say Comic Con now, they typically mean San Diego. San Diego yeah, because yeah. yeah. that that is that is the largest, most it, the, certainly the most opulent of all the Comic Cons. Mm-hmm. But but I would imagine for you, it's probably not the same experience for most people. You can't no. walk anywhere. Well, you can. You can, but 
<laughs> Are you good with that stuff? Well, well, I mean, just doing the, interviews. No, not, not doing. Well, this first of all, this is not an interview. This is just a conversation. You're not. I don't want you to feel interrogated. We're just talking. It's very loose, and there's no there's no agenda. We'll talk about Mr. Holmes a bit, and then we'll uh, and then we'll. And then... Uh, no, I don't much enjoy it. No, I'm an actor, I'm not somebody who talks. But you have to do it. Do you think that's part of British culture too? Is not liking to talk about yourself? Um, well, you know, I'm not. I'm not running for election. I'm not. I'm not try- All I'm trying to do is to persuade people to go and see the work I've done. Yeah. Not to attend to what I am. Right. But to attend to the work I've done. But of course, as you say, it turns into a conversation. What did you have for breakfast? And who are you dating at the moment? All sorts of irrelevant questions. But. So the celebrity part gets in the way. You want? Yeah. Hmm. I mean, I don't like advertising myself. I, li- I like I like advertising the, the work I've done. You see the difference? Absolutely. Cool. So how have you been able to maintain some? Because you, you would you would have to have, especially with where you're at. Are, are, are we are we are we on now? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're recording. You, you would have to have and some. You might have told me. <laughs> Oh, well, you have done that. <laughs> At what point in your career did you realize I need a piece of I need a piece for myself? I need a piece for me, and the work can be that, and and I am. Well, well, that's not the way around it works. You you jog along perfectly happily, or I did for the first twenty thirty years of my career without without. Actually, looking forward to giving an interview, looking forward to putting my case for whatever work I'd been doing. But uh, without doing any interviews, I I think I was much happier then. You know, people like Laurence Olivier, an actor that uh, perhaps our listeners won't uh, have heard of, but the greatest actor of his generation, didn't give interviews. Paul Schofield, who won an Oscar, never gave an interview. Maggie Smith doesn't give interviews. Judy Dench gives an interview about once every two years. Wow. I've given 30 interviews in the last 24 hours. <laughs> oh, no. So it's, I don't think it's anything to do with being British. It's to do with... Um, if someone's an actor, probably they're, they're escaping from themselves. Sure. They're, they're, they're drawing attention not to themselves, but to the character that they're playing, the story they're telling. So it's a different process altogether than coming into a... Um, interview situation or conversation situation with somebody you've never met before, talking to people you you can't see and don't know about, and it, it's difficult. Yeah. I find it very difficult. Yeah, I noticed that. And all I want to say is that go and see Mr. Holmes, because uh, <laughs> I spent uh, quite a lot of my life last year making it, and uh, I did it for you. That's what I want to say. For me? You did it for me? I'm not talking to you. I'm talking Damn it. To, I'm, talking, I'm talking to the people who are listening. Right. Well, for a yes, second, yes. I really of was... Course, of course you. Yes, of course you. Yeah. Uh, why was it important for you? What, what was so important about this movie that you wanted to tell the story? Well, A, it was the work that I was doing last year. It's, it's part of an ongoing uh, process. But um, I... Um, I was going to say on the whole, but I think always uh, would judge... Uh, an offer of work by um, uh, the, the script, the screenplay. Is is it the sort of um, show that I'd want to see as an audience? 
And if the answer to that is a resounding yes, well, then I'll think, mm, is that a part I want to play or can play? Or it would be appropriate for me to play? Or is it a part I feel I've played uh, under another guise in, in another film? Because if it is, I probably won't want to repeat myself. That from the man who played Gandalf in six films. But, uh, <laughs> you know, things don't always work out the way you would intend... So once that's settled, that, then there's a series of pros and cons. And in this case, the, the, the pros got all the ticks. I, I couldn't see anything wrong with this project at all. Particularly as it, as it firmed up, and uh, of course the director was the crucial person, and I'd worked with him before. Bill God, Carter. the monsters. Yes, that's Which right. It's a wonderful movie. Thank you. And I've, I've worked with him since doing Mr. Holmes. I'm, I'm, I'm in his latest movie that he's um, shooting in London at the moment, A Beauty and the Beast, for, for Disney. So... Uh, but then when he told me who he was proposing should be in the cast with me, it got even more uh, exciting. And um, looking back on it now, now I've seen the film, uh, I realise it's, it's less about Sherlock Holmes, which, will, of course, is the original first hook to get people uh, intrigued, uh, and more about what it's like to uh, to, to get old and uh, be old with regrets and uh, yet having the temperament somehow to understand those regrets and, and uh, decide what went wrong and how life would have been different. And uh, in doing that, Sherlock Holmes is revealed to be not just a, a brain, uh, uh, someone who observes... Uh, intuits, is that the word? Uh, no. Works out by observation what other people are up to, but actually also is concerned with the heart, which is uh, not how people behave, but why they behave like they do. Well, so he becomes a man who can empathise uh, with others and, and, and empathise with himself for the first time, right at the end. So it ends up being an optimistic film that, uh, you know, it's never too late. And it's got a happy ending. So... And uh, that's why I re recommend it. I think it'll make people <laughs> it'll be enjoyable and intriguing, make you laugh, and uh, in the end make you feel better about yourself a bit. Mm. I like seeing a, a, a humanized version of Sherlock Holmes because there's so, yes. many, so many times, and I've seen several iterations of them, I watched a lot of the Jeremy Brett Sherlock Holmes. Oh, yeah, and very like, good, aren't they? Though? Very, very good, mm -hmm. but, but it, it's... But it, we all we sort of perceive him to be this like oh well he's a he's a calculating machine he's a heartless calculating machine yeah. who can go into any situation and tell everyone what their grandparents had for breakfast because <laughs> they had a, a, some mud on their shoe yeah. and he's very aspirational to a lot of us because he's you know he's all intellect it's the same reason why I love Doctor Who so much but but to see but to see a to see that character humanized in a way is is a really is a really nice nice mm. turn for him. Mm. Do you think people like Sherlock Holmes as they certainly do all over the world because he's inhuman because he's not like the rest of us? A little bit. I think I think he's you know it, 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 I think Sherlock Holmes was a superhero in, before the age of superheroes. Mm. If that makes any sense, mm. he's. You know the world. He's ostensibly the world's smartest man, and he's the most perceptive yes. individual. And he and he's so. And we accept the fact that he's sort of cold and almost sociopathic in a lot of iterations because he's so. He just has such an understanding of why things happen and how things are, 
and uh, and so in a way, I think he is. He's he's been he's kind of a series of Victorian superhero. Yes, let's see. Yeah. No, I thank you because I, everyone asks me what, what, why I think he's popular. I can't remember a time <laughs> when I didn't know who Sherlock Holmes was, and that. Same with Peter Pan, really. I, I, when did Peter Pan enter my consciousness? I don't know. Well, actually, age three, when I saw a production of Peter Pan on stage, but that wasn't true of Sherlock Holmes. So there's some, there's something, something very, very, very strong about his personality, which which intrigues people, and and excites them. And and Laura Linney, who's in our show, who was given some of the Conan Doyle stories about Sherlock Holmes when she was a kid, finds him very sexy. I think that's his Englishness rather than anything else. <laughs> well, he's everyone wants to be, you know, everyone wants to be smart. Everyone wants to, everyone wants to be, you know, some type of superlative something. I suppose that's the it, smartest, yes, yes. the best. You it's know. it's like it's a little bit like doing crosswords, which we've never really caught on in the United States. But uh, in, in my country, every newspaper has a crossword, and and it's a it's a cryptic crossword. The clues are difficult, have to be worked out, and the answer's painfully uh, achieved. Uh, and, of course, you know Sherlock Holmes could do the crosswords in five minutes. Right. Mm. Well, it's boiling an egg, so I suppose that is the appeal. Well, because a lot of times we see his humanity through Watson. Watson is sort yes, of the sounding right. board of humanity, and he's yeah. sort of the... He's also, <laughs> he's also kind of the apologetic friend... Oh, he, he's just, you know, he's fine. He's, you just have to let him go. You know, he's, he's, Watson was always the sort of human link between the, the, the rest of us mouth-breathing plebeians and Sherlock Holmes. And so now to see, you know, this idea that, that mortality, is, is it mortality? Is that what it is that kind of, kind of shaves the edges off him in this movie? Mm. Well, I suppose so. I mean, um, he's 93, He's a bit doddery physically, though still mobile. In the beginning of the movie, he's just coming back from a long journey abroad to Japan, where he's been in search of some elixir of that'll prolong his life and, and his brain cells, which he feels are also on the decline. So I think it's a response to a, a, a feeling that it's now or never. And, and uh, what he wants to do now rather than never, is solve that last mystery, that last case, which Watson put into a book, but uh, Holmes knew he'd got it wrong, and uh, more than got it wrong, he'd, that he'd done wrong somehow, that he'd hurt somebody. And I don't know, 30 years in retirement, I suppose you... Um, it's it's time to concentrate and think, and it's bothered him all that time. It stopped him working. It, it, it prevented him from ever pursuing another case. Watson's dead now. Uh, so I suppose it's... Um, before I die, I've got to clear this up. And I, I, I admire that. I mean, I... It's never too late. There's never too late to sort things out. Put relationships right. Well, that's good to hear. Yeah, I hope that's right. <laughs> that's, that's, that's the optimistic message of, of, of this charming, uh, highly rated film. <laughs> <laughs> I just wonder, you know, the thing that's interesting to me about it is, <clears throat> and, and maybe this is 
this is sort of me looking ahead at my own mortality yeah. down the road, but when a man is so clearly defined by his by his mental faculties, yeah. as Sherlock Holmes is, when he gets older and some of that begins to dim a little bit, who is he and what is he left with and what does that do? What does that do to his identity? Mm. Mm. Yes. Well, I, you were asking about celebrity earlier on, and uh, of course, he is a star. Uh, and uh, much is known about him and his exploits and his nature. Uh, and he doesn't really like it. Uh, he, he, li- he likes doing the work, but uh, drawing attention to himself is, 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 isn't, isn't appealing. And he's probably been happier uh, living in the countryside where, although he's recognised when he goes out, he can be secluded and uh, and uh, ruminative. Go and have a swim in the English Channel. Talk to his bees mm-hmm. who don't answer back. And uh, he's probably inside a rather timid manner. But um, if you've got a brilliance, if you've got some talent which draws attention to itself, and you've got a perpetual biographer uh, at your side writing down your exploits and... Uh, you become extremely well known. It, it, it must be bewildering. Do you think there's a part of him? It isn't. It isn't. It isn't in the nature of human beings to be famous, right? But why do so many people want it? Is it? Is it? Is it significance? Is it? Is it? They want to feel significant to the tribe, or you know, which ultimately is oh, my genes are superior because I'm significant to the tribe. Is is that what it is? Why are well, we so addicted to it? Well, I don't know. I really don't know, uh, but uh, practically, to to get on with life, uh, it's good to be known by um, perhaps not your tribe, but your village, your family, your friends, your colleagues. That'll do, won't it? Uh, to be known by in other by other tribes, what advantage does that have? Other than and, and 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 think how many disadvantages it has because these strangers who don't know you but but know you by reputation of course they only know part of you sure uh, and they make assumptions about you and uh, uh, so being celebrated is uh, it's a very very odd thing and 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 I don't think many people are comfortable with it. Oh. People I know who are really celebrated, um, it's really spoiled their lives. They, 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 they don't like to go out much. They become reclusive. They live behind walls. They have to be careful how they present themselves on all occasions. They have people around them to protect them, uh, and uh, everything becomes about their ego, which is... Uh, I spend quite a lot of my time. Not, no, I don't. But I'm very, very glad I don't have to deal with that problem. I remember being with with um, Tom Hanks once. We were filming The Da Vinci Code in Paris, and I we were rehearsing in in a, in an hotel, and I left uh, as he did. But he didn't leave the hotel, as, and I, I said, "Are you coming uh, with me?" He said, "No, no, no. Off you go." Uh, and I hailed a cab and, and went my way. And he said, uh, "Oh." I can't remember the last time I hailed a cab. 
Because if Tom Hanks walks into the street and puts his hand in the air, a hundred people turn, see who it is, and come to him. Sure. So he has to wait for the car. And it probably can't come to the front door, it has to go to the back door. It has to have darkened windows. And you're in Paris. <laughs> no, you're not in Paris. You're in a prison. You're in a prison. Now, Tom is a very sensible person and uh, has a wonderful family and is terribly well-adjusted, I'm sure. He's got his life down uh, to uh, manageable pr- proportions. But nevertheless, you can see it's it's... To be really celebrated is, is not much fun and is anti-human, really. So why do you think people take... Imagine being the Queen of England. Oh, no. It's, uh, by the way, being a member of the royal family sounds like horrible. And I know most people go, well, their lives are probably... You know, no, no. Just having material things at your disposal, that, that to me seems like the most... That fucking Buckingham Palace is a prison. <laughs> like they can't do anything. They can't. Every time they say something, it divides people. It sound, that to me sounds abysmal. I, I read the proposition the other day that uh, um, Prince William and his uh, wife should be up in courts for child abuse oh, because they're introducing their child into a, a, a world which may give some satisfaction to the individual, but very little pleasure. It's, I mean, I, I don't, I, I really honestly don't understand how. And yet, how many people have dreams about the Queen? Well, in my country, an awful lot. There's something about her that everybody relates to, but it, it's nothing to do with who she is. It's not, it's no benefit to her, people having dreams about her. Anyway, uh, that, that's an extreme thought of sure. a celebrity. Now, where it can be of use, of course, celebrity is is if you're if you're selling something, if you're if you're if you want to change the world, you know. All right, go up the slippery slope and become pope, and uh, be the only man in the world wearing that particular outfit, and uh, travel and be praised and hailed and loved, uh, and that's to his political advantage because there are certain things he wants to do sure. with the institution that he had. So I can understand that. And, and politicians too running for office in, uh, in a straightforward political situation. To be celebrated is to be selling a message uh, beyond oneself. But for actors, you know, not the whole actor should be anonymous. I don't, I don't, I don't think it's a help to... Un- appreciating an actor's performance to know too much about the actor. But you changed... It, it, it may be all right, but it, 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 it may not. But you changed... But you, you, you affected significant change. Significant change because of your... Because people knew who you were. You mean on gay issues? Yes, you oh, came out in the 80s Well, I'm when, all right, but that's not... To do, that's not that's the, the distinction I'm making between the, the actor wanting to be anonymous, but... If you're trying to change the world, well, then you have to get up and start waving a flag and, and draw attention to yourself because you've got something to, that you want people to listen to. So, uh, yes, I, I'm, I'm divided, yeah. But, it, but, but you did it at a time when... I'd much was... rather talk to you about gay stuff than about acting. Well, let's... I would... no, 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 I'm not saying you can talk but about... But I want but... to, I want to, because I want to I know... You came out at a time in the 80s when most people were terrified. They were terrified that if they came out, it would ruin their careers, it would ruin their, especially in Britain with the... What was it, Section Twenty Eight or whatever? Yeah. I mean, like you and and something about you 
said, well, it's important for me to let people know that this is that this is okay and and you don't have to be you don't have to be afraid anymore and that's that's very significant yeah so what no, I, I i didn't i didn't come out for the benefit of other people i ca- i came out um, because i'd been advised by uh, friends that that i'd enjoy my life more if i if i was uh, honest about it so but that done i i then joined in with others who were actually trying to change uh, the law and change people's attitudes, and that's when celebrity is, is is useful because it allows one to have public conversations like this. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, yes. Well, I did. I came out when other people didn't. Yeah. So, well, there's still plenty of people who uh, find it difficult to come out around the world. Even even where uh, the laws now um, don't uh, disadvantage it, because uh, the easy thing is to change the laws. You have an argument, a discussion. Uh, the right view prevails, and the laws get changed. There's a process. You can see how it can be done. And uh, democracy is set up to allow change to happen and to encourage change but those are bad old laws we're representing prejudices which are much less easy to to eradicate and, and they continue I'm very optimistic about it, particularly in this country where we're talking now in the United States with the, the Supreme Court um, declaring that the Constitution uh, supports um, same-gender marriage, supports equality. Um, they, are, of course, are not in the vanguard of social change. They're, they're confirming attitudes that have been around a long time amongst the population, uh, a majority of the population who think that um, anybody should be able to get married if, if, if they want to. And, and so now these old people... Old lawyers who interpret old laws um, have bent themselves around, and five to four have, have agreed that uh, the change in people's attitudes uh, is a good one. But plenty of people who are confused and bewildered and are not in the mainstream and have not been noticing what's been happening perhaps still feel they don't know any gay people. But quite soon. Uh, they'll go to a gay wedding. Yeah. And they'll cry their eyes out and they'll wonder, why didn't I see it? And for every gay marriage, how many people there? 100 people? 200? Those people go and tell their friends, how many each? 10 friends each, that's 2,000 people. So two people getting hitched can affect a large group. And these large groups eventually connect until they're the majority. And uh, the people's will uh, is that we should all be nice to each other and get on with each other. (laughs) (laughs) But that's the optimistic view. But it'll take take longer to eradicate the old prejudice than than it will has taken to get rid of the old laws. Yeah. I think that's the the case. And then beyond uh, the the, the countries... uh, like Canada and Scandinavia and uh, most of uh, Great Britain and um, Ireland and Spain, 
South Africa, where marriage between two men or two women has been accepted. There are many, many countries where even to be gay is... Uh, criminalizes you actually if you have sex it's a, it's a wicked wicked world so to be celebrated to go back to that point uh, and, and get the message out across the world uh, it's quite useful for me that I, I, I have some celebrity not because I hold these views but because uh, I, I'm an actor and, and people get interested in <laughs> actors because they're in the public life, but uh, it, it's not very easy for me, and I don't think for most people, to uh, to allow everybody into your private life. It, uh, they don't they don't have a place in it, really. No, it's, it's I mean, there, there should be, you know, in an age of social media, and in an age yeah. of oversharing, you know, my parents' generation was very much... Uh, you don't, you know, you don't talk about your, you don't talk about everything in public. There are some things that are just meant for your home, yes. and the rest of the world, you know, and it's gone so far in the opposite direction now, where mm. people feel like they have a right to know everything at all times. Mm. But I, 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 I don't get that sort of instant tweeting. I'm eating a hamburger. I've finished my hamburger. <laughs> I'm leaving the restaurant. Oh, I've forgotten to pay. I didn't leave a tip. I did leave a tip. I've just seen somebody I fancy. I'm going to get on the bus now. Well, who needs to know? Uh, and really, shouldn't they be enjoying themselves and, and not thinking about communicating their enjoyment? You know. <laughs> well, that's. I just don't get it. And I also say to kids who are going down the street riveted by something on the iPhone, probably a game they're playing rather than someone back home they're talking to. The love of your life has just walked by. You missed them. You didn't <sighs> see them. You had one go at it. One chance. And they didn't see you either. They were looking like, <sighs> when are you... When are you... <laughs> get out. Get out into the world. Look around you. Smile at somebody. That's the human way of doing it. You can't imagine a dog who's interested in everything within sniffing distance wanting to be on his iPhone. No. <laughs> he would have bored he would be. <laughs> but there we go. That, that's just a grumpy old man who doesn't understand even how to turn his computer on. No, I don't think that's a grumpy old man because I, I just had a couple of days off and my, my girlfriend and I went to uh, had a wonderful vacation and and I, I was noticing at different we went to Hearst Castle and I was noticing at different points I was so, oh I have to take pictures and I have to and then I realized like I'm not even really enjoying the experience I'm just try, I'm spending so much time cataloging the experience right. for future consumption and I know I will not consume all these pictures at a future date that I had to put my fucking phone down for two minutes and then go I'm not going to take pictures of this stuff I'm actually going to take pride in the fact that I'm just going to try to remember it. I'm there just going to try to have the experience myself. And it was really nice. Well, there you are, you are. You've been given all the equipment to, to do that. <laughs> you, you, you are a very, very superior and sophisticated iPhone. You can, you can see things. You can look at details. If you want to get closer, you can use your legs to get closer and uh, then you've got your brain to keep it all in your memory if, if that's what you choose. And, uh, yeah, a snap is, a, is an aid memoir. And, uh, you know, old photograph albums can be great fun. 
because they remind you of things that you'd, 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 you'd forgotten. But they are themselves, not the memory. Sure. The memory's inside you. And uh, these selfies... I said to people, but wouldn't you rather spend 10 seconds looking into my eyes rather than looking at yourself reflected on a screen? Right. You're, you're recording an event that didn't really happen. Yeah. And, uh, well, that takes 10 seconds to say, and they don't know what you're talking about. Can I have a selfie? Is what the, what? <laughs> <laughs> you know, How, what do you do with selfies? Do you print them out? Do you put them in an album? Do you, do you keep them in your, your phone? What happens when you lose the phone? Where... where, where do people? Well, no, no one can answer this yet. Will, will you be looking at the selfies in ten years' time? I don't think the ten years is up yet since selfies were invented. Is that what? What are you going to do with them? I don't know because they're not the and, same. And finding them, where, where is that thing? <laughs> well, I suppose you can catalogue them all and and, and uh, yes, but I don't know. It's. Uh, Paul McCartney said the same thing on this podcast where he said people want to come up and take pictures and he's like, well, you, you could just say hi to me. We could talk for a second that's rather right. than rather than taking well, a picture. We could connect like human beings. That's what I feel. Um, yes. I think oh, if I met Paul McCartney, I wouldn't need to confirm the moment with a photograph with us both. Well, not at our age. <laughs> <laughs> but to have shaken his hand and felt felt his flesh to that extent and looked into those soulful eyes and heard him speak. Well, what a thrill all that would be. But yes, you deny it if you say, can I have a quick photograph? Ladies and gentlemen, there's no such thing as a quick photograph. You hand, you hand your camera to somebody who's never seen it before and they don't know how to work it. So all you get is... A, <laughs> Photograph of two worried people saying, "Have you taken it yet?" <laughs> oh, the flash! Total oh, non-event. Total oh, non-event. You know, I think it actually. I think this all comes. I'm, I'm seeing. I'm seeing some connective tissue to this entire conversation. Oh, and good. Here, here's what I think it is. So, this obsession that we have with uh, because you know taking a picture with someone is is more about you're trying to own the moment than it is actually experiencing the yes, moment. Yes, that's right. And so I think the reason that we do this, and I am 100 guilty of it is we put it on social media. We want people to think we're significant. Yeah. We want people to think we lead interesting, lot more interesting lives than we actually lead. Yes. And that is because, coming back around, because we're not all comfortable with ourselves. And if we were all comfortable with ourselves, it wouldn't, we wouldn't have to strive for any type of mm. external mm. significance because we would mm. feel like we had everything mm. we needed. So you mm. being comfortable with who you are to the extent that you would come out and tell people, this is, this is who I am, you should be who you are. I think that's what we have to strive for. That's the, that is the, the personal significance that we have to strive for, is being comfortable well, with ourselves. Well, absolutely. I, I agree with everything you've just said. I was just trying to, while you were speaking, thinking of which celebrated person I would most like to just have a brief moment with. And, and it would enhance my... Uh... Did you ever meet Sir Lawrence Olivier? Oh, yes, I worked for him. No, I... Uh, I met Nelson Mandela. I spent 20 minutes with him. Oh, wow. That was more than, that's more than a selfie situation. I spent the evening with uh, Edmund Hillary, the man who cl- first climbed Everest. Sure. Uh, I suppose those were the high spots. 
What do you talk about with it? Do you talk about regular things, do or do you talk, about. or do you feel like I have twenty minutes? This conversation has to be significant in some way. How do you? I, I, I was uh, I in the company of two young South Africans, a lesbian uh, law student and an ex freedom fighter. I lobbied uh, President uh, Mandela to. Uh, give his approval for a, a line in the new constitution of South Africa making it illegal to discriminate against anyone on grounds of their sexuality. Uh, because I was supporting the committee that was trying to effect this, uh, uh, that part of the constitution, um, I don't know. I'm, I don't know how it happened, but I was given the... I think perhaps things are a bit more casual in South Africa than... Where I live, I, I was given an interview with him uh, in twenty minutes, in which the three of us made the case, and um, he looked a bit baffled. Uh, he said, "Of course, I agree with you." Well, he would, wouldn't he? He'd, he'd spent his life being discriminated against and suffering for it, uh, so he wasn't going to start. He wasn't going to come out of prison saying we should discriminate against people on grounds of sexuality. Right. Oh, he got that point, and 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 the law the law was established, and uh, South Africa became that's the only constitution in the world in which those words appear. It's a model for the world. Well, that's what we achieved in in our little meeting. But uh, so there was some spit, there was a reason for that. I wasn't just passing him in the street. Um, Edmund Hillary, right? Turned out to be a fan of Lord of the Rings. He lives in New Zealand, or did. And a mutual friend arranged a, a dinner that we were both at. I think he was he was as thrilled to be sitting next to the actor who played Gandalf as I was to <laughs> sitting next to a hero of mine since childhood. And I said to him, oh, "How could he, fifty years on, be answering stupid questions about?" Climbing Everest, but that's the nature of his celebrity. Right. Which he used for political purposes because he, he raised a lot of money to make pe- life, make people's life better in, in, uh, in, uh, in Tib- not Tibet, um, oh dear, North India, yeah, north of India. And uh, he built hospitals and schools and bridges and all sorts of things. But I said to him, uh, "Did you? Is it true that you took some mint cake on your Everest exhibition?" Now, mint cake is, is, is a candy bar you get in the UK. It's either white or brown, and it's very sugary, and it, it's got peppermint oil in it, and it gives you instant energy. That's why people going on long journeys put it in their knapsack. And he said. I do believe uh, Tensing and I shared some mint cake quite close to the top. And I thought, oh, no, he's made that up. <laughs> and, uh, so I, I gave him a trick question. I said, was it white mint cake or brown? He said it was brown. So he remembered. Oh. So I believed him. So- <laughs> So that was my conversation. Apart from <laughs> it, with this great celebrity, we really got down to. But did he answer the question about how do you answer the same questions for fifty years? I didn't ask. Him oh, you about didn't ask that. him. Yeah. 
I think by that time, uh, his status as a god, uh, which he had in Nepal... Of course. ...who's worshipped, uh, was sitting fairly easily on his uh, shoulders. Certainly after half a bottle of uh, excellent New Zealand Pinot Noir. (laughs) (laughs) He looked like my dad, really. That was another appealing thing to me. Um... Yeah, so, no, but these celebs... But I, I, I know, if, if I saw Bill Maher in the street or, or someone I admired on television, of course you'd notice, wouldn't you? And, of course, your instinct might be to touch the person and record the moment, but if you actually get close enough to someone to speak to them, put the camera away, is my advice. Yeah, yeah. That's a really nice It's I, I, I hope I think there there at some point there will have to be a backlash. There will there will be a there will be a backlash to technology and I feel like a group of young people will maybe potentially start embracing not technology and having embracing each other. I think so. I hope so. I really hope so. Or maybe somebody can invent the antiphone so that if you're carrying this uh, instrument with you no phones work within a radius of 10 yards, let's say. Yeah. So as people approach you, it is impossible for them to take a photograph. Do you know what I'm loving even more about this without even really having <laughs> thought of it? <laughs> you could just be like a little electromagnetic pulse that just disables all the devices in yeah, your Yeah, well, area. certainly that should be available for enclosed places like theatres, where, where, where phones that, that ring in the middle of a performance are... are, are uh, a bind. Have you ever had that happen during a performance? Uh, do you know, I don't, not sure that I have, but m- many others actors have. I think the sort of people who go and see the sort of plays I do really do want to be there and really want to play their part uh, as an audience. Audio, of course, they're listening, and they don't want to listen to... Uh, they don't... They do put their phones away, but sometimes people forget, don't they? That is important, by the way. An audience... A lot of times an audience forgets that it does have a very important role in a show, which is that they have to pay attention and listen and give just a little bit. That is why we're all gathered together. (laughs) (laughs) But I I love this idea, which I hadn't really thought about until we started talking about it. But when you get to the end of your life and you look back and someone says, tell me about your life and the people you met – or if all your stories are, well, I took a picture of this person, I took a picture of this person, I took a picture of this person, as opposed to – you know, well, you know, one time I sat down with Ian McKellen and we just talked about things and, and we yeah. got to know each other yeah. and that was so much more of an enriching experience. And hey, look yes, at this. But, yeah. but in a moment, you know, so what, but what's the, what's the middle ground? Because if, you know, if someone spots you in public or they spot Sir Paul in public or, or Patrick Stewart and they know they have like 10 seconds, is it, should it just be a quick, Hi, I just want you to know I, I love your work and I, I admire what you do and thank you for doing what you do. Well, that is a wonderful thing to, to, to say to somebody and, and for, for that person to receive it. doesn't matter how many times they've heard it before. Uh, if it's coming from the heart, say it. Absolutely say it. Because the people you mentioned uh, live for their audiences. If there's no one listening to McCartney's music, he doesn't exist, so to speak, as, as a... In his role as an artist, if no one goes to see Patrick Stewart and me on stage, um, oh, we're at home. So to hear from an audience, 
at the event with applause shortly afterwards, with a letter perhaps, remember letters, or some message coming through, uh, or subsequently, maybe even years later, decades later, someone saying, do you know what happened as a result of seeing you do that? Uh, you become a part of their lives, but in a, in a seemly way, in a... In a um, you sent out a message and it was received. Yeah. And to have confirmation of that, very nice. But watching you and Sir Patrick on your adventures together is a fun... That's a fun thing for people. It's fun watching you guys... It's fun watching friends. It's fun watching friends do silly things together. That's true. But actually what we were trying to do in those photographs, which... um, if you don't know what we're talking about, as you listen, I'm sure you, you can find them on YouTube or something. But all we were trying to do was to get people to come and see us in the plays we were doing. We, 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 we were whoring about uh, on, on behalf of Samuel Beckett and Harold Pinter, the two playwrights whose plays we were doing. Uh, if we didn't want people to come and see our plays, we wouldn't have been... T- those photographs wouldn't exist. <laughs> oh, really? No, okay. No. no. <laughs> no. I, after after this conversation, I, I'm going back to my hotel, uh, and for for some, I'm going to cook scrambled eggs, and be televised doing it. <laughs> and that that's done. I'm going back home, and I'm going to put my head under a, a pillow, and and. <laughs> Try and forget. <laughs> mm. Oh no. Mm. no! I mean, it's. But I like scrambled eggs, and I do know sure. how to cook them, and uh, a lot of people will benefit from that. <laughs> but uh, it's just a weird eggy I'm hoop to have to jump through to yeah. promote to promote the Sherlock Holmes movie. And there's nothing to do with Sherlock Holmes. Well, I don't know. The Laura Linney's character turns out to be a bad cook, but maybe there's that uh, that connection. Anyway, uh, we should talk more about uh, Mr. Holmes, or, or perhaps we've persuaded people that uh, it's not for them. I have a question for you about about the, uh, the character of Holmes. Yeah. Do you do you think I like to imagine that there's this three dimensional representation of him? There are things about Holmes that we that we don't know because they were. That, like, what do you think was private about Holmes? Did you do you feel like in this movie that you discovered anything that you think, oh, I, he, this may be a, a private side to him that was never told in the story? Like, who do you think who do you think he really was? Oh well, I'm not sure I can answer that question. It's uh, he's certainly a, a private person. Uh, Uh, and doesn't, uh, I, was, I would think, communicate much about himself, but then perhaps there's not much to communicate. Yeah. Uh, he's a loner, obviously. He's, he's got a highly developed talent, but it's not one that spreads beyond the talent itself, really. You know, uh, it, it, he's not using his brain to... Um, um, Enjoy life, really. <laughs> he's a, he does crossword puzzles. And someone doing crossword puzzles won't talk to you. They're busy sorting it out. They're pleased with the way their brain's working. 
And when they finish the crossword, you know, guess what? It's very, very disappointing because it's finished. Yeah. And why did you spend all that time doing that? Is what I said to myself. But Sherlock Holmes would think, hmm, mission accomplished. <laughs> I go to sleep now. I, you know, he'd have done better getting out a bit more, wouldn't he? And that's what he discovers in this film. That's why it's, it's so sweet and heartening that even at 93, he's, he's, um, he, he, he gains a humanity that he's been denying himself all his life. I wonder if people do that later in life, discover a purpose which they didn't know about. I remember my stepmother, who died at 80... Uh, sorry, 100. 100. Oh. Natalie said, as her faculties began to go, she couldn't... She couldn't move easily. And she said on a number of occasions, why, why am I alive? I don't understand it. My friends are not alive. I don't know what I'm doing here. Why? Why? Why am I here? And she was a Quaker, a Christian, and I suppose she should ask her maker the same questions. And I said, well, you don't understand that you're here for other people because um, you have to be looked after and people like looking after you because they like you. And you give hope to other people that they're going to live as long. Right. And that uh, mortality is something to be coped with, but uh, there's more to come. And uh, when you smile, uh, you make people happy. So stop being so bloody selfish. <laughs> uh, you know, but you can't do any of those things unless you're out in the world somehow. And uh, that must be very painful when you when you you can't leave the house when you're having to live through the television and the radio and probably can't read properly because your eyesight's going. It's um, human beings are sociable. Yeah. At best. And Sherlock Holmes is not one of those. He's a bit of a sociopath. He, he, he doesn't find company easy. He has to dominate any situation that he's part of. So why, in the, this, in the, case, in, in the case of Sherlock Holmes, <laughs> uh, or, or in Tom Hanks, celebrities, people, why, why, why would he continue to make choices... Why would he continue to take case after case after case? Or why would someone take film after film if, if you know that it's going to elevate you to a place that is isolating and that you don't want to be? Why not just, like, why not just go back into obscurity and have a simpler life? Well, maybe just habit. No, it's just Sherlock Holmes does not have the imagination to realize that he's leading a really boring life. <laughs> And the rest of us have made him celebrated and are feeding off his talents and uh, confirming to him that he must stay exactly as he is. And then one day he said, enough, not doing any more, because something had gone wrong and he didn't understand what. And he went into retirement, went to live with his bees, left London, didn't go back to Baker Street. Dr. Watson died. And he had 30 years to think about it. And then, uh, as he begins to realise death is round the corner, he, he's going to gather his, what strength he's got left and solve 
the puzzle of why he had to retire. That's the story of the one of the stories of the film. So it took him a long time to do what you've suggested should be an easy thing to do. Why don't you just join the human race, Sherlock? Well, he didn't know how to. Hmm. So a man, a man who you're saying early people like because he's removed, he's remote, he's different, he's cleverer, he's superhero. Uh, ends his life happy because he's none of those things, and he's uh, <laughs> he's joined the human race, and that's what's happened when you come out, of course, as a gay person, you join the human race. Oh, that's all you, wonderful. You, you stop being, you stop being in your enclosed world where you've been put. No gay person builds this closet. It's given to them at birth. They're put in it. And they have to get out, but when they do, <sighs> fresh air. Hmm. But that's everything that we were talking about, too, is, is joining the human race, taking your face out of your phone and connecting with people. It's all about joining yeah. the human race. And go and climb a mountain like... And uh, go and climbing a mountain and bringing mint cakes. Do you know, do you, yeah, and do you know he went up Everest without, without oxygen? Yes. Wow. Yes. <laughs> and here's a nice story. He, he, in his retirement, he was a beekeeper like Sherlock Holmes. That's what the family did, kept bees. He was in uh, North Island of uh, New Zealand in, in his study. He had two sons. His, the phone rang. Hello, Ed. Ah, uh, Dad, it's it's Chris. Hello, where are you? He said, "Well, I thought I'd call you because I'm standing on Everest." <laughs> He was on top of Everest. That's amazing. And he called his dad. Well, thank God for technology in this case. <laughs> he called his dad with his bees, and he must have had a good cry after that. Oh, of course. So proud. Of, of course. course. Yes. Can you, as we're sort of, because I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let you go. I know you have eggs to make. <laughs> <laughs> those eggs aren't going to make themselves, Ian. No, no. But just... Uh, <laughs> You know, whether you're comfortable with it or not, people really... Your your words hold a lot of gravity for people. They do look up to you. And just in the idea of embracing who we are, can you just give something, some bit of wisdom for embracing who's, who you are, whatever it be, whatever it is? Like, how how did you get comfortable with yourself? Or how do you, you know, how can you give advice to just being who you are no I don't think I can do that I, 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 I don't have a, a philosophy or a belief system that uh, I would encourage people to investigate and share but uh, I suppose the um, early years of my life in which I was told that my difference was so alarming to the majority, that I should never talk about it. And therefore probably think about it. Uh, and that I, my birthright was to be cut off from society made me realise, certainly by the age of 49, when I stopped it all and, 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 and was honest and truthful and spoke to anyone who was interested about myself or that side of myself, um, 
realised uh, the message probably of our conversation, which is um, human beings are, are sociable. That's how we function. You can't do it on your own. You can do certain things on your own, but the good things you do together. And one way you can be uh, together is to go into a public place and sit in the dark with a lot of strangers and, and watch shadows on a screen or actors on a stage and laugh together and discover that a person sitting next to you you've never met before, probably never meet again, has the same sense of humour as you do, as the person who wrote this story does, as presumably those performers do. And, you know, the world shrinks to something which you can... Manage and, and, and feel that you, you, you're, you're a part of. So um, get out and meet people <laughs> and uh, make friends, I suppose, is, is, is it. But you won't be able to make that many friends. Probably not more than about 80. That, that'll, otherwise, you'll start forgetting people's names. Oh, that's about, yeah. And really. You think 80 is too much? No, well, I think it's, I think it's too. I think it's. I think there, there are sort of. Um, there are stratified layers of like you can't hang out with eighty people. You can't. That you can be acquaintance with eighty people, but I think right. you can really only be friends with like maybe ten people, like right. really, ten, really good ten. friends. However, take courage that they, that, that ten can change over the years. Of course, you're not with them for life necessarily. No. You can have arguments. You can swap them out. Get rid of them. You can move house. <laughs> <laughs> Did you? Re- I just have one more question for you, which is: Did you really? When I read that, when you were debating Section Twenty Eight in the eighties, that a politician who was against your position, New, new, newspaper editor, it was a newspaper editor, journalist, yes, who was a newspaper against your position and still asked you for an autographed picture, and you re- you signed oh, it. Oh, I say no, no, no. I say different. Yes, a different different story. I'm sorry, no, he was a politician. He was the man in charge of putting through. Parliament, this uh, very, very nasty law, which which meant that uh, schools could not mention homosexuality to their students. Keep them ignorant. Uh, and in pleading against that, and because I had some celebrity as an actor, I, I was invited to his house on a Sunday morning. And 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 he he disagreed with me, and he argued with me, and he. Um, gave me no satisfaction at all and so frankly was totally dismissive of who I was as a person in a very very charming way and as I was leaving said would I mind signing his kids autograph books and I'm supposed to have written fuck off Ian McKellen but I didn't (laughs) I may have wanted to but I thought well the girls aren't implicated in their father's stupid views which he has since apologised for oh good it's all all right now. <laughs> oh, I got it wrong. <laughs> yes, you did. I told you at the time. <laughs> so sometimes you have to be sociable in order to stick up for yourself. And, yes. Uh, uh, and discover that uh, there are some people who you simply don't want to have as friends. That's fine. Well, I cannot thank you enough. I, I, I really do understand, especially on the heels of all the interviews in the press that you've been doing that to come and commit to an hour of chatting with me I'm I, sure the, I, it's very enjoyable uh, I just uh, I'm not at my brightest and well anyone will understand they don't want to talk imagine talk about yourself for an hour but we haven't done that so that's, that's good been lovely. and I also want to tell you that in full disclosure 
I had every intention of asking you to take a picture at the end of the podcast, yeah. and I'm not gonna, and I'm not gonna do it. No, we can have a photo. No, I, don't you think it's don't you think it's more meaningful now if if, it, if we live by by the thing that we established, yeah. which is. I could capture a picture with you and go, look at this picture, but I'm staring into your eyes you right are, now, you are. and this has been such a wonderful conversation that I would rather preserve the memory of this rather than a two to, and believe me, I fucking want a picture with you, but I'm not going to take it because right. it's you, been wonderful to connect with a, you. a picture with your blue eyes. You've, you've taken it. <laughs> what color are my eyes? They're bluish. They are. Yes. Yeah. yeah, I've been I've been I've been looking the whole time, but thank you for uh thank you for coming no, connecting. It's a pleasure. It's wonderful. Serene McKellen, Mr. Holmes, enjoy your burrito everyone. Now leaving nerdist.com. Enjoy your burrito. Are you tired of dating assholes? Do you want a Prince Charming? If so, we're filming a reality show. Sign up here. 12 American women are flown over to the UK for a Bachelor-style reality dating show. There are so many questions about a show like this because it's so odd. These women have been told that they were going to be dating the world's most eligible bachelor, Prince Harry. What? Y'all playing with me, right? You can binge The Bachelor of Buckingham Palace exclusively on Wondery Plus. Join Wondery Plus in Apple Podcasts or the Wondery app.